everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Jeremy. Welcome to House Calls, a podcast where we take your questions on all things related to homes, design, or anything else about buildings and the places people dwell. Call 1-800-511-6842 to get your questions answered. And remember, the advice might only be worth what you paid for it. Jeremy. Michael. Do you think we got any subscribers after the first <laughs> podcast? <laughs> That's a million dollar question. Yes. Yes? Yeah. You owe me a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have one. Did you check? I didn't check. Neither did I. But we're going to keep doing this because we love taking calls for house callers. I mean, people have questions, we got to answer them for them. Hey, you know what else I was thinking? What was you thinking? So I was talking to somebody this weekend about they need somebody to do tile. Do you know anyone? Can you help us out? Blah, blah, blah. Can you recommend someone? And I said, you know, this is exactly why we started House Calls, because there is a whole country out there. We have the United States. Literally, I'm not kidding. There are people all over this country. Arizona, New Mexico, (laughs) New Hampshire, who need people to do work. And there's not enough people to do the work. And worse yet, people don't know what's going on with their house. They don't know if they can trust people. They don't know what's going on. So they need a little guidance. And I think it's great. We're doing this podcast. How about you? I agree. All right. So with that said, please go to uh, iTunes, subscribe, visit us at housecallspodcast.com. And uh, it looks like we have Lev on the line. Where's Lev from? Where's Lev? Lev is from Albany. Albania again. A lot of calls from Albany. Wow. These guys have house problems. The love and the problems in Albany. Hey, Lev, this is Mike and Jeremy from House Calls Podcast. How's it going? Ah, doing well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. What's going on? Oh, just finishing dinner and, uh, you know, thinking about power tools. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Thinking about power tools. What kind of power tools? So I have this sort of internal debate with myself. Um, I have for years used a reciprocal saw, uh, I guess uh, sort of casually known as a Sawzall. Sawzall. Um, So I use a Sawzall for all the fun stuff that I do around the house. I, you know, when I take things apart and bash things and occasionally you bash uh, things with I don't the feel like getting a, well i cut things before i bash them okay and then, gotcha. yeah. yeah and and sometimes i even use it to to cut small trees that have fallen perfect that's probably not a perfect use for nope. it but done um, the same I, acceptable I it. Uh, it is good yes it's I actually endorsed by us yeah you can get oh, really? yeah. Do oh. you use a pruning blade? Because they yes. no joke. They make pruning blades. For I use the pruning stuff. blade as a demo blade. As long as I'm not cutting metal, I use the pruning blade to cut beams, timbers, whatever. They are aggressive. They are very aggressive. Anyway, I keep stay, going. I stay away from prunes. Uh, <laughs> I don't like them. Uh, so, so anyway, about uh, three three months ago or so, uh, a friend asked me to go with him to one of the box stores that will remain nameless. Yeah. Um, and purchase, you mean Hope Depot or Lowe's? Uh, <laughs> something like that. Um, and and purchase a, an oscillating saw. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. you mean like a, a multi-tool or a fine tool? A multi-tool or a fine tool might be its name. Yep. So, so my question is this: this yeah. this saw, this this multi-tool oscillating yeah. tool, yeah, which I don't own. My friend owns, so now yeah. I don't have to own one, right? So I can just borrow <laughs> it. Uh, it. It seems like it does this fine, like very you know minor, m- mild vibration, like sort of almost precision cutting. But, like, I can cut through a pipe, and I can cut an angle on a piece of uh, molding. I mean, you can do all of the things I feel that I used to use a reciprocal saw for uh, without the possibility of it kicking back and, you know, or breaking and popping into my eye. Or So I guess my question is, what's the difference? What do you still need a sawzall for? I think that uh, a sawzall is... For me personally, I'm a remodeling contractor. We generally use sawzalls for rough, fast cuts. So generally demolition work, generally something where you want a longer stroke on your blade, um, not necessarily a faster stroke, but a faster, just more rough cut. Um, the tool is bigger. Everything you just said sounded dirty. <laughs> it did, for one. And two is, he, you know... We use this for finish work. I don't know about you, but we use a sawzall to do like molding. And <laughs> is it? Listen, I'm from the Catskills. This is how we roll up here. Ladies and gentlemen, he's absolutely joking. <laughs> the 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 multi tool really is for more precise cuts. Going back, do you need to ditch the sawzall and get a multi tool? No, no, I'm going to answer for him. Do no. you need to ditch the multi tool and get a sawzall? No. Do you need both tools? Yes. Do you need two of each? Maybe. Probably. <laughs> if you're a contractor like Jeremy and I, and I, have, I have three sawzalls and no and no multi tool. But but based based on your answer, it strikes me that if I'm not doing a lot of demolition work, I don't need a lot of sawzall action in my life. Absolutely right. What okay. do you do for a living? I'm an attorney with three sawzalls. <laughs> with three. That's actually. I might even have four. I don't, <laughs> I don't even have three sawzalls. Depends on the client. Go get yourself a multi-tool. But here's my advice. Jeremy may disagree. Get make sure it's a fine tool. Das is fine. Fine. F E I N. That's a Ger- brand name. German made. It's the first company to do it. It's about precision. Yeah, and anything. you can get a billion different blades for them, and the the blades are task specific. So yeah. we're really talking about precision control. Yeah. But uh, what you specifically on your job site, off the top of your head, what is the greatest use you've thought of for your oscillating tool? That you've the done. F- I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is is cutting in, I guess you would call it like a remodeling box for an electrical outlet or an yes. electrical switch. That's a great use. There's two that come to my mind. One is you mentioned cutting pipe. Cutting pipe with an oscillating tool, especially the PVC pipe, is awesome because it's not bouncing the pipe around. And one of the things you notice about a, a reciprocating saw is any vibration in the thing you're cutting eliminates the cutting action. It like stops all cutting. So the only thing you're doing is vibrating this pipe around, which is crazy. So the oscillating tool basically cuts right through the pipe. And then two, the greatest use I've ever found is cutting out tile. Like if you have a broken tile and you need to cut through the grout line and get rid of that tile, you couldn't ask for a better tool once again, plunge cutting to get these things out. And that's something that a recip saw is just never going to be able to do. Thanks for the answer. It was helpful. I appreciate the call. Fine tool. Absolutely. Thank My you. Pleasure. For, 
Thank you for calling House Calls All right, thanks, Podcast. Guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. So who's up next? What's the call we got? Looks like Dan from Olive, New York. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, we're doing all right. You called in, left a message. What's going on? What's going on is uh, I got uh, new windows coming in yep. and uh, their uh, replacements. Yeah. And I had those old windows with the... Uh, with the weights in them, you know, they're kind of behind like the wood and stuff, yep, mm-hmm. yeah. all hollow back there. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't really know what to do about it. Have you ever replaced windows before? Yes, but I didn't, I haven't used the uh, replacements. I've always done it with the, like, what do you call it? The thing around the windows? Yeah. The, um, uh, the, the nailing fin. Yeah. And the nailing fin. Yeah, the nailing yeah exactly. Okay. All right. Cool. So let's just bring the listeners up to speed on the difference between a replacement window yep. and a what we'll call a new construction window. Yes. So a, right, a replacement window is basically um, a, a smooth framed box, and it fits in an existing jam set from an old window. Which means the old window keeps all of its sill and crown details it keeps all of its molding profiles and this new window just slaps inside oh yeah mike just slaps them in is that how you do it keep moving (laughs) you want to talk about a new construction no no, that's what i that's what i measured it for i measured it for you know just so it fit right in gotcha so hold on we're getting the colors up to speed and then a new construction window is a window that sits in the framing you take all that old stuff out or you're building a new building you put in new framing and you put a window inside that opening it comes with a nailing flange and nail on the outside you put it in so what you're asking is you're putting in replacement windows and then there's that space behind the wood framing of the old window where yeah. the, the the weight is the way it is for you know the old windows, uh, so you know they don't slide down and smash your fingers. Should I rip out all that wood and fill it with insulation, or should I just say screw it and uh, and just put in the replacement? But then I have like that void with nothing in, it, and that's like defeats the whole purpose of the window. I was thinking. Is this in your own home? No, no, this is in a rental. Okay. This is a great question. And a lot of people who replace windows have this very same question. JK, what do you do on situations like this? As a remodeling contractor yep. and <clears throat> trying to keep a uh, flawless reputation, <laughs> what, what we do is— right. we, we good, t- good luck, Jeremy. I said try. All right. <laughs> we take the, the window sashes out. Okay. Which means those are the panes of window, the right. upper and the lower. Take them right out. Take them out. Yep. Um, so in order to do that, you have to literally and figuratively cut the cord. You, you have, have to, to cut, cut the, the cord. cord that connects the window sash to the sash weights, which are in that sash pocket behind the frame. And they go clunk on the bottom. Exactly. They, they exactly. go clunk. Now, when you take that window um, sash out... Some of these um, jams are, let's just say, serviceable. So some of them have a built-in panel, and it might have like a very, very, very short screw. And if you take that little screw out and you take that miniature little panel out, you should be able to see two, the window weight. Yeah, the weight in yeah. the bottom of that set in the and bottom pull of that it right pocket. Out of there. Put your hand on it and pull it right out after you've cut that cord. Yeah. 
If it does not have one of those panels, you can cut one. You can cut a panel in to pull that weight out. Lev, with Lev is, yes, Lev is going to come over with his brand new Reciprocating fine. saw. No, he's going to come with his brand new multi-tool. Lev's got a multi-tool. He's going to come over, cut a panel for you. And you're going to open up that pocket um, with a tool, take those weights out, and fill it with insulation. Now, what kind of insulation? Hold on, hold on, hold on. A lot of people just stuff in a bunch of fiberglass insulation as tight as they can. Is that good? No. Why? It's bad to compress fiberglass insulation because it loses its insulation value. What do you mean compress? Like how much? What about like the Roxole? Roxole, I don't know if you know this, but Roxole or rock wool is a mineral insulation. And I heard the mice like hate it. The mice hate it. The problem with it is that it has about the same R value that fiberglass insulation has. And it doesn't have any of the air stop capability that spray foam, closed cell spray foam insulation has. Or rigid insulation. Or rigid insulation. So I I think Mike and I would both agree on this one. Best case scenario, you fill that entire pocket with closed cell spray foam. So the best thing to do, honestly, is to drill a bunch of holes in that original window frame and just spray foam those cavities where that window weight existed. So it stops all air leakage. With a high expansion. Yeah, use a high expansion. You typically don't have to worry about it manipulating the frame of the window, but you may get a little bit oozing out. So best thing to do, spray some in there, put the window in right quick, slap it in, (laughs) and then uh, fasten it up, and the foam will take care of the rest. Yeah, and just... even just a can, a can of great stuff from the um, from the hardware store, the lumber yard is all you need. You might need a lot of cans depending on how many windows you're doing. No, I'm I'm doing a bunch of windows. There's about uh, seven upstairs and like ten downstairs. So, but I'm only doing the upstairs right now. So. It's usually about two thirds of a can per window. Believe it or not, it's a big space. I'm going to buy stock in great stuff. Okay, hold on. Here's another tip. When you're, fill- when you're filling these windows, you're going to bore numerous holes up the window frame, the original old window frame, right? You're going to start spray filling from the bottom, right? You're going to stick the nozzle in. You're going to spray a bunch, and then you're going to move up to the next hole. Spray a bunch, and then move up, right? Little by little, and about halfway mark, stop. And let that foam kind of expand and then work your way from the halfway mark up to the top. Don't try to do it all at once because it's all just going to fall to the bottom. It's going to be a problem. Right, because you want it to expand. And you want the foam to do the work for you. Let the foam do the work. (laughs) I think that's, that's great. Thanks, guys. Your tenants will be very happy. Absolutely. And so will your heating bill. Dan, thanks so much for calling. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, Dan. Jeremy, how'd your, Michael. Week, how'd your weekend go? Um, I took the kids to the library. Nice. And while I was there, I found a book, which looks old, but it's from the late 90s. Very, very thick book on home construction. Nice. Because I actually had a question about roof framing, and I figured you could scour the internet, you could talk to other guys, but I Not- feel like there's something kind of wholesome about looking in a book on a certain section of roof and how to how to construct it particularly calculating um hip and valley angles mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things i find about the internet especially teaching is there's a lot of 
half information and poor information, but it's very hard to find good information, which is one of the reasons we started this podcast, no? No. Yes, of course. (laughs) Because if you want good information, you came to the wrong place. Who do we have on the line, Jeremy? We have... Steve from Delhi, New York. Delhi? I think it's Delhi. It's De- New New Delhi? D-E-L-H-I. It's got to be Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> Delhi. Steve, this is Jeremy and Mike from the House Calls Podcast. How's it going? Good, good, Jeremy. Good to hear from you. Hi, Mike. Hey, Steve. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Great, great. What's going on in your house? Uh, everything from a basement to a bathroom <laughs> to uh, some... <laughs> Some shingling work and uh, oh, that's all. That's enough. Got to make uh, what hay when it's ready or whatever. So when the, once the the weather warms up and and there's and frankly there's no snow. Yep, thank goodness. How much snow did you get in Delhi, New York? You know, I really I never heard a total on the local weather, I, I, but I would guess somewhere between eighty and a hundred. Eighty and a hundred inches for the season. It, it, yeah. When you talk to your friends outside of upstate New York. Like, if you have friends in Arizona, just double that number. If they're like, how much snow did you get? Just tell them you got 200 inches. Three, we had 342 <laughs> inches this year. Well, I've, I have a couple questions in to you so far. One about uh, snow guard, which yeah. I'm still interested in getting your input because now's the time. I'll install it, obviously, during the summer. Go for it. Let's talk about the snow guard because, of course, you know, it was 91 degrees at my house today. A perfect day to talk about snow. Go ahead. It snowed in Delhi. It probably did. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I put snow guard up on, uh, I, I'm sorry, it's a garage, uh, metal roof, rib, ribbed roof, metal roofing. Yeah. I put snow guards up about two and a half feet up. That was the advice I was given. And I put one row the whole, the whole length. Uh, the, the garage and the woodshed and so forth. It's about 70 feet long. I didn't put anything on the back. And so uh, during the winter time, uh, of course, again, like this winter, there was a, the snow just slides right off the back, and there was probably six, seven, eight feet of snow back there. And whereas in the front, it did, it did fairly well until the snow would get um, maybe 16, 18 inches deep, and then, of course, the top would slide off. But So my question uh, I posed uh, to you would be, I'm worried about there being too much stress on the front of the trusses. It's a trust system underneath the metal roof hmm. because there's no pressure at all on the back. So that was my question. Do I, is it necessary for me to put snow guard on the back side of the roof as well? Any type of roof system, no matter the pitch, no matter the finished material on the roof, I think it's important when possible to take snow off of that roof. Yep. So whether it's asphalt, whether it's rubber, whether it's metal, do your best if you have access, even as little as four to six inches, it's not a bad idea to rake that snow off. Are the snow guards there because you're trying to mitigate snow from dumping out onto a specific location? Meaning, is there like an overhead garage door under where the snow guards are? Why are the snow guards there? Uh, it would be, you know, it's it's for just that reason, uh, uh, gra- the garage doors, of course, and the other the other aspect of it would be over where I um, my firewood is in my woodshed. Um, before I put the snow guards up, I could easily go out, and there might be a I got I can't exaggerate, so two foot high pile of snow, which is heavily packed and 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're using a, you know, you can't even use a square head uh, a shovel to dig, dig through it. It's so hard. So I put the snow guard up and that has worked in essence very, quite well the last two years, um, to keep the snow, at least in the morning from getting out, getting the car out and, you know, that type of thing. It's a gable roof, right? It pitches two different ways. Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. so a gable roof, you have you have snow sitting on one side of the roof, one side of the gable, and there's no snow on the other side of the gable, and you're concerned, is that bad for the trusses? Is that off-balance snow load a problem? Should you put snow guards on the other side of the roof to hold snow so that it's balanced? Is that That's the summary of your question, yes? Yes. All right. And I just want to interject a yeah. second because just for the um, the listeners out there, the trusses... Um, make up the roof framing assembly of this this structure. That's right. And they're assembled in a factory, mm-hmm. and they're delivered on site very light, but very strong based on the way they're engineered. And they are, I mean, that's really the point is that they are engineered. Yeah, they're engineered. They're not just sticks thrown together. It's an engineered system, right. really. You tell the company how wide the span is, yep. and they The pitch of the roof. It. So here's how that engineering works. They engineer it based on the worst case scenario. So they engineer it based on you holding three feet of snow on your roof at any given time, three to four feet of snow. Now, you said you have a metal roof, so it just sheds the snow, and that's not a problem. Now, on the side of the roof that holds the snow guard, it's holding a certain amount of snow, but with the sun, that's going to melt off relatively quickly. So I think, and JK may disagree, but I think you do not have a problem, period, holding any amount of snow with that snow guard on one side of the roof. And I would say, no, don't put any snow guard on the other side because the more weight you could take off that roof as a whole, the better it is. I agree. Right. Good. Yeah. Good. I, I like that idea. I don't want to get up there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling Thanks in. Jeremy. All right. Thank Thanks you. Fun. All right. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Snow. 300 inches. Delhi, <laughs> New York. How about it's, that? It's actually Delhi, New York. It is Delhi, isn't it? Jeremy, you know what I was thinking? Tell me what you were thinking. I was thinking some of the people that are new to the podcast may or may not know the terminology we're using. So we should probably break out some of the terminologies. Like, for instance, studs. What are studs? Studs are the two guys in the booth. That's right. Okay. <laughs> what are joists? <laughs> Joyce. When people say Joyce, I've, I hear a lot of people say Joyce's. And when people say Joyce's, to me, it's many women named Joyce. Joyce's. Joyce's. Keep going. Life is all about Joyce's. <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, studs. When we say studs, we're talking about the framing in the walls that goes up and down. Vertically oriented framing members, typically right. two by sixes or two by fours. Or two by eights. Or two by eights. So, joists. What are joists? Joists are the horizontal framing members that make up the floor system or the ceiling system. That's right. If they're in the ceiling, they're called ceiling joists. If they're in the floor, they're called floor joists. What are rafters? Rafters. I don't know. Anyway, next question. (laughs) (laughs) Rafters are the framing members that make up the roof system of the building. That's right. Whether they lay flat, as in a joist, or whether they lay at an angle in a gable, 
They are roof rafters. They support the roof and the sheathing and the shingles or the metal roof, whatever you got. You could get a two-for-one, and that would be a truss, where the top cord of the truss is the rafter, and the bottom cord of the truss is the ceiling joist. That's right. A twofer. Also known as a truss. So when we talk floor joists, when we talk trusses, when we talk rafters, and when we talk studs, most of the calls will have studs. We're talking about vertical members, horizontal members, and of course, roof members, which is, you know, these are good things to know for the uh, house callers out there. Hello, this is Jeremy and Mike. How's it going? I'm doing good. How's everything going with you fellas? Hey, all right. What's going on with your house? All right, so I have an attic, right? It's oh, wait, wait, wait. Team. Wait, hold on. We have to hold back on. up. We have to back up a little. Oh, come on. We didn't get your first name. Oh, well, my name is Ryan. I thought that, hey, Ryan. that would have been announced. No, no, our chairman of the boards here is surprising us with a call. So it's Ryan from... <laughs> Where are you Ryan from? Ryan from Orange County. Nice, okay. nice. And you have an attic. I have an attic. Yeah. It's on the top of the house. Yeah. Where attics usually are. <laughs> We're off to a great attic. start. <laughs> it has... I have an attic. It's in the basement. Um, it's got exposed beams, um, so it's an unfinished attic. It does have a plywood floor, yeah. but I'd like to put up some plywood on the ceiling so this way when I stand up, my head doesn't go into a nail from the shingles on the top of the house. Uh-huh. So now, aside from obviously putting up the wood, what should my concerns be with closing it up? That's a good question. What do you have... In between the rafters, do you have insulation between the rafters, or is it in the floor? Insulation's in the floor. Okay, so it's in the ceiling joists of the second story. Hmm. Correct. Okay, so the rafters are exposed, and you have nails exposed, and you want to put up plywood. Now, here's the first thing that concerns me. If you're putting up plywood on your rafters, you're putting wood on top of wood, and your local code may not allow you to do that. And why not, Jeremy? Do you know? Any idea? All right. So if you put plywood on the underside of your rafters, you're actually creating a fire hazard. So if you had a fire in your house, that plywood could exacerbate the flames and make those roof rafters burn out faster. Does that make sense? Sure. So that's yeah, a number the fire one. Could get trapped between the two services. Right. It, you it, it, got it, it. it essentially makes like a chimney effect within yep. the, within each rafter bay. Yes. Right. You got it. So that's a number one. So you might want to think about blocking. Uh, typically, you put blocking between the rafters every couple feet, about every three feet, and it's called a fire block. And it, it eliminates the chimney effect. So there. So if you talk with your building code... Officer, he may just say fire block is fine. Go ahead, put up plywood. So, he lives two houses down. Uh, you might want to move. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't put up a shed without him nosing around. So. I, I have a different type of concern, and, and my concern is this. If you have venting that goes from the soffits on the outside of the house... That's my concern, right. Okay. What, what you don't want to do is it is basically block off any of that airflow um, in some sense you might be um, facilitating airflow by right. making that chimney exactly. effect you make your house more thermal dynamic however 
you can then not put fire blocking in because you're going to block the airflow in that in that space. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. So now let me. I'll, I'll bring in some of my. Uh, you know, as I've been looking up this issue on the internet and researching it. Yeah. Uh, what is a ridge vent then? So the ridge is the uppermost point of the roof that you can see when you're outside, or it would be the like pinnacle of what we're, we'll call the ceiling when you're inside that attic, and it's right. it's actually vented. There's there's some sort of something on the outside of the roof that facilitates airflow. It could be foam, it could be plastic. And the reason it allows airflow is to let moisture out of the house. Just living in the house and the house is sitting on the ground, it's collecting moisture all the time. It needs to go somewhere. Warm air rises, so it's gonna push it up to the top and it needs a vent to get out. The moisture has to get out. If it doesn't get out, you have mold and rot issues inside your house. It's very important. I think we, should, I think we can make this even way more simple. And that is put a sign on the door that leads up to the attic Hard that says <laughs> duck when you get upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> duck. How high is the ceiling height? Uh, well, I'm six foot four, and the peak is probably six foot okay. six, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm crouched down, and it's, it's cramped yep. when I'm up there. Mm-hmm. I think that you're, you would have a tough time getting plywood on the underside of those rafters. I agree. If it's if it's trusses, oh, I would have to piece it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I'd probably stay away from from this idea. I think you you could potentially cause problems. Uh, it's going to be quite an undertaking schlepping plywood all the way up to the attic. Do you have like foam venting or anything between the rafters? No. So so that was another question I was just going to ask. Was okay. Now the soffit vent. Um, does the soffit vent work in conjunction with the ridge vent? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. So one's an intake and one's an uh, output. You got basically. it. Yep. And they could be connected or they could be not connected. And since you said the insulation is in the ceiling joist of the second story, they don't necessarily have to be connected. But go ahead. Right. So that whole open area is the um, is the vent essentially, because it's coming in you through got the soffit yes. you got and then it. just kind of mixing around in the attic and then you, leaving through the ridge. You vent. got it. Yes. It's considered a non-living space. Here's a quick solution, very quick and maybe relatively cheap. What you can do is you can buy like one inch or two inch thick blue board, which is a foam insulation, has a very low R value. It's not very good. It's very light very easily handleable. You can cut it to fit between your rafters or fit between your trusses, and you can literally attach it. In fact, the nails may hold it all in and of itself. Sure, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that. And just push it against the nails, but make sure you do not block the soft vents or the ridge vent. Right, so leave a good six inches on each end to you make sure that it doesn't block any of the airflow. Oh, Even two idea. inches is fine, I would say. Because I was literally to the point that I was going to get like an angle grinder and grind down every single <laughs> nail. No, actually, that's a fire and hazard. That's a too extreme. And I wouldn't do that. It I will also, I, no. I guarantee it would void the warranty <laughs> on your on your shingles. <laughs> I'm it sure will. that it would shake the, shake the nails pretty violently. Yeah, that too. And you may yeah. jeopardize the substrate. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, the, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. So basically, the the a lower R value of the the pink insulation that you always see on the sides of houses. 
you got before it. Before they put up siding, just a lower R value version of that. It's cheap, pink or blue, whatever the lowest R value, cheapest one. And if your nails are only projecting an inch, buy the inch stuff. If it's projecting more, buy more. Yeah, just pop it right on there. If you have to get some like liquid nails or you know some sort of construction adhesive and just brace it up there, it'll glue up there. I think that's a good solution. It's just so you don't poke holes in your skull. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. who needs that? Uh, I certainly don't. Yeah, I don't blame you. Hey, hopefully that answers your question. I think so. Yeah, actually, that's uh, that's something I didn't think of as a solution. So you've done your job. Perfect. That's what we're here for. Great. We'll send you a bill. <laughs> Excellent. How much do you guys make per minute? Actually, you're not an attorney. We don't bill non-attorneys. We only bill attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the Thank call. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I think that wraps up another episode and of I the House Calls Podcast. And I would love to say, on behalf of JK and I, thank you to all our callers that call in. We really appreciate these calls. We love helping people solve their problems. But we always want more calls. So, so where can you reach us, JK? You can reach us first and foremost at 1-800-511-6842. And we're here to take your house call. Everybody's got a question. Everybody has an issue. No matter where you live, apartments, new homeowners, old homeowners, I just inherited a crazy home. Call us. We're here to help. They can find us. On Facebook. Facebook, House Calls Podcast. Just punch it in. It'll come right up. Instagram, at House Calls Podcast. And of course, housecallspodcast.com on your web browser of choice. And in fact, you can just click on it, click on the 1-800 number, and it's going to call us. Does that actually work? It does. It's amazing. I should try that. Yeah. I have some I have some questions I want you to answer. Yeah, you can also text us 1-800-511-6842, and we get the text at the 1-800 number. And if you want to subscribe, find us, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Your platform of choice. And in the infamous words of Mike Wentland, be good. Thanks for listening to the House Calls podcast, recorded at Silver Hollow Audio, with your hosts, Mike Wentland and Jeremy Castle. This episode was produced by Brett Barry, production assistant Nicholas Wagner, distributed by Anchor. Thanks to our program sponsor, Drive28.com, with free audio driving tours through the Catskills. Be sure to click that subscribe button and call us so we can feature your home question on the show. 1-800-511-6842. That's 1-800-511-6842. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.